The following is presented by the Center for Political Innovation, CPI, Building American Socialism for the 21st Century. To learn more, visit cpiusa.org. Everyone, so happy to be here with all y'all in such a beautiful place. So to start off, I wanted to give everyone a little bit of background about myself. So I grew up in a small town in Texas called San Angelo. It's a very small town of about 100,000 people. And in that town, it's located in something called the Bible Belt of West Texas. So the family I grew up in was a very, very religious family, very Catholic. And I feel like I got a lot of my belief systems from them, even though what my upbringing with them was a, not a positive one. They're uh, very... Christians and Catholics, they like to preach a lot about helping the poor and helping their neighbors and loving everyone and not judging everyone. But from what I could see growing up is that was not the case. And that the way they would talk about poor people on the streets or the way they would talk about homosexual people, they talked about them like they were the incarnation of Satan themselves or even people who listened to metal music or anything like that. They were all just irredeemable and evil. And I was a young kid and I was lapping all this up and I thought, okay, well, this is how the world works. But the more I got older, I realized that something's wrong here. Something's a little off. I'm told to love all these people and to treat them with kindness and give them whatever I can, but that's not the reality I was seeing on the ground. And I actually have a funny story with that. Uh, I was listening to metal music at the time. I was a really big rocker. And uh, my parents, this is what they said to me word for word. Like, you better stop listening to that music or you're going to open up demon portals in the house that are going to kill your little brother and little sister. I was <laughs> So after that, I was like, oh boy, maybe not. The, maybe this isn't the way to go. And on top of that, when I was very young, my father... I have so much respect for my father. He's a conservative guy, but he is the most hardworking man I've ever known. Every night I would come home from, or every day I would come home from school and he wouldn't be there because he would work from six to eight every single day. And he would work overtime, every week, overnights. I barely knew the man. And he was the most hard worker I've ever known. And then 2008 came around, the housing crisis, and we lost our home. And I didn't understand it at all. My dad went and got up early every day. He busted all the sales records. He got all these little plaques from his store saying, you're the best regional guy and you got all these records and oh my gosh, we love you so much. And after all of that, we still lost our house and we had to sell our vehicles. And that was the real tipping point for me because I saw that even if you are the hardest working person around there, Hard work doesn't make you rich. There is something else that makes you rich. And um, I really found out growing up that those forces were the capitalist interests that try to keep us all down, that deprive working people of the right to dignity, the right to... <laughs> and whatever I heard from him was always the same thing, which it kind of makes me really sad now that I really think about it. He would say to me, even though he was in this situation, working so hard and losing his house, he said, you just have to work hard and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And that was the only option. And that was, a, 
from what I can understand, that was his way of blaming himself. And I, that hurt me so much in my core because I saw this man get up every single day and be the hardest worker I knew, and he blamed himself. And that was so dark, I, I couldn't fathom it. And that's, I think that's how a lot of average Texans feel. They feel like if they're in a bad situation, it's all their own fault. They can only blame themselves. They only need to look inwards. And that's the bullshit that people hear in Texas. And they don't hear any other message. They don't hear any type of other possibility. You're written off as a crazy. Like, even if you call yourself a Democrat, you're a communist. <laughs> like It's uh, just completely backwards. And through that experience, I really found out that the way to convince these people isn't to shout them down or try to make them feel like they're the problem is those are the people who are actually dealing with the problem directly in every single day. And our message of uh, optimistic socialism really resonates with these people. If you tell these people everything you believe, how you believe in the naturaliza uh, nationalization of resources, how working people deserve to live in dignity without fear of losing their homes, they resonate with that. But when you say the C word, it's like everything goes out the window. So it really shows that they're not afraid of communism. They're not afraid of socialism. They want socialism, yeah. but they just don't know what it is. And I think that's where it leaves a big lane for us, especially in those types of places that are largely dismissed by the wider left. They see those places as just hillbillies and backward racists and all this, and they're irredeemable. And I can tell you firsthand that that is straight up bullshit. Especially whenever we talk to them about things like mutual aid. You'll hear this a lot from the South and in Texas. They call it Southern hospitality, helping your neighbor. And I think it's really funny because a lot of the things they do are essentially mutual aid. They just don't know what it is. They don't have a form. They don't know what to call it, but they know that towns like that require that sort of solidarity to keep people moving, especially those people who fall through the cracks. And as our system declines more and more, that just becomes more and more people. And especially in my town, there's no left anything. There's no party, there's no movement, there's no group, there's no protest, there's no nothing. I think we got freedom defenders who, uh, who uh, hate the masks and want to burn them all. That's, that's the closest thing to political action that you get in my town. And uh, as a leftist, that, could, that seems really daunting. You know, it seems really alienating, but that's totally the wrong way to feel. And after I started getting into Caleb's writings, that's when I really saw that this doomer, gloom, nothing's ever going to change. There's no hope. These people are all just racist and they're irredeemable and they're all this and that. And I realized that these people are just my neighbors. And when I talk to them about actual, like actually what socialism is and not this boogeyman, they resonate with our message, and they love the ideas of mutual aid. They want that in that, their communities. And that left, left me in an interesting spot, kind of all alone. And I knew that that, that self-destructive, like, doomer mentality that the synthetic left has been pushing, the one that I had adopted myself, was not not only destructive to my own well-being, but destructive to the working class movement as a whole. And I knew that I had to 
break out. I had to get to the masses. I couldn't just sit there and sulk and say, oh, I live in a bad place, so nothing's ever going to happen. Because if you don't dare to struggle, you're never going to win. I think. Dare to win. Dare to struggle. Dare to win. Dare to struggle. Dare to win. I think um, the really one of the biggest parts that helped me a lot is my partner, Christina, over there. We give her a little round of applause. Without her and Caleb, I, I don't think I would have got the courage to do all the things that I've done. And I really, I deeply respect both of them. And I want to thank them both so much, especially Christina, because the way she can talk to people and the way that she can just be on a one-to-one -one level with people, that's the only way you're ever going to convince people of socialism or radically changing their ideals is if you have a real, genuine human conversation with them. And it's like a good friend of mine, Robert, likes to say. It's, it's kind of like putting a pebble in somebody's shoe. It's when you plant that little idea that maybe the system's not so right, maybe something's wrong, and they'll have that pebble in their shoe. And the longer they walk on it, they'll realize there's something wrong. There's, this is something uncomfortable. It's getting worse and worse. And that's how you reach people. That's how you really break through these kinds of people is it's a slow process. It's a rolling thing that you have to be committed to. And I, I found that in practice and in reality, and that's, that is how it works. It, it takes... It's slowly just um, slowly coming in with Christina and having talking to her and getting her more into those things allowed us to branch off and talk to even more people and get more people involved, more people interested in what we believe and what actually socialism is. Because in my town, especially, like there, like I said, there's no left anything. So whenever people hear our specific message, it's something they've never heard before. It's something new. And it's something optimistic, and it's something real and tangible. And that's what I think is really a failure of the modern left, because they've written off essentially the whole middle part of the country. And I'm here to tell you that those people are ready for socialism. Those people are ready for change. They want something new. They don't know what that new thing is. They think it's uh, Trump 2024 or something <laughs> like that. But the most of them, they don't. Most of them aren't those kind of Confederate flag-waving, gun-toting hillbillies. A lot of them are just working-class people. I'd probably say the majority of them, honestly. But So with that feeling of uh, Christina and I, we started our own org. It's uh, really inspired by the CPI and everything that we do here, and it's called a San Angelo Solidarity. And with this group, we were able to do a lot. Like the first month we started, it was uh, five people. And we just did a reading group. And we would get together every weekend and read the CPI manual and discuss and try to learn more about socialism. And for about a month, that's what it was. And then our whole town was struck by an insane water crisis. Uh, acet acetone, nephilimine, and benzene, and another list of long huge words that I'm not sure how to pronounce, uh, chemical solvents were being pumped into the water supply by some unnamed capitalist in the city. And it, yeah, it, it was insane. Uh, I remember the first day that everything happened, uh, the reason 
that the city actually got on top of it because this leak had actually been going on for about a week. People had been reporting things like this for a week. But the tipping point was a woman took a shower and she had to immediately be rushed to the ER because all of her orifices were on fire. They were burning. And another man, drunk, he drank a glass of water and instantly started vomiting. So, and the city, their response was so lackluster. It was insane. It was days and days, but it was probably four days before they actually hopped into action. And immediately after everyone, the, the news came out that the water was contaminated and there was a do not use notice on it. So you can't drink it, you can't cook with it, you can't bathe yourself, you can't water, you can't do anything with the water. And I never really realized how crucial water is to your everyday life. And as Americans do, a small portion of them, once they heard the news, they rushed to the store and panic bought every single bottle of water in San Angelo. You couldn't go to the Target, to the Walmart, to the Kmart, to the Walgreens, anywhere. Every, it was like the pandemic with the toilet paper. Every single shelf was just gone. And Christina reminded me of something that Caleb said, is you, politics is all about timing. It's all about seizing the moment. And that's what we did. Our little group, we, we were like, well, we read and we do this and we want to organize and now's our chance. We can go out and directly aid working class families who are suffering from this crisis. They're ignored by the city. And that's what we did. We, me and my comrades, we took five uh, vehicles for multiple days, probably about a week and a half straight. We would go out of town to the surrounding towns about an hour away and buy out as much water as we could. We didn't want to buy any water in town, one, because there was none. And if there was any, we didn't want to take that opportunity away from people who were able-bodied and could out and go, go out and buy the water. So that's what we did. We were able to set up a mutual aid network through uh, word of mouth and social media to distribute over 140 cases of water to all the elderly and disabled people in our town. It was really sad for me because a lot of the people who would hit us up, it was the grandchildren of some grandpa and they would tell me that my, my grandma, she lives in a house and she doesn't have a car, she has three grandkids, she can't feed them, she can't bathe them, she, they can't brush their teeth, they can't do anything. Can you please help us? And we were getting calls like that nonstop all day long for about a week. And it was, the city's response was really telling because through it all, they just minimized the problem as much as they could and vowed to never say who poisoned the water supply. Wow. I'm telling you, if it was me or you, any average Joe in this room who poisoned the water supply of 100,000 people, we'd go to jail. Right, yeah. right. But it, it's some uh, member of the business community. Wow. So they, wow. they went off scot-free. Still, to this day, we have no idea who they are. And as the water crisis was happening, it rolled into the big freeze. Like it was the exact same time, like the water crisis was still ongoing. I'm sure y'all have all heard of the Texas freeze that happened. Yeah. Yeah. It was completely devastating. It, it was really eye-opening for our small org too because we had just been on the ground for a little over a month now. And now we were seeing the entire infrastructure of Texas basically collapse. I mean, our they said at our place of residence that they were gonna do rolling blackouts through the night to try to maintain power throughout the city. And those rolling blackouts were said to only last two hours from 1 a.m. to 3 a.m. 
Our power went off at 1 a.m. and didn't come back on for five days. Yeah, it, immediately we had to leave. Immediately, the same night we woke up, our house was 40 degrees inside. We, it, we immediately had to take all of our animals and go to a friend's, uh, a group member's house who was able to help us. And that was a really eye-opening experience for us because we wanted desperately to go out and try to help people and try to get something done in this extreme crisis, but it showed us that we just didn't have the the equipment or the the skills or the the money basically to do all of these massive things like we, we can't fix the power grid we can't build homes for people on the spot and then warm them it's just a it showed that we as a socialist movement we need to create that infrastructure in which we can directly help working people in times of crises And that was a, it was a really eye-opening experience for us all. And it's one I think that we came out from with a very much critical, with a much more critical understanding of what we needed to do. We knew that we had to branch out faster and further, and we had to make this a nationwide thing. And that's what we're doing here at the CPI. We're making this a nationwide thing. We're building those communities of solidarity so that we can do all these things that directly help working people and show them that socialists aren't these big, scary, uh, Stalin-esque muscle men who just want to take your toothbrush and take your house. <laughs> no, we're just regular members of the community who just want to help people. We want to show people that socialism isn't a bad thing. Socialism is your neighbor. Socialism is your friends helping you out. Socialism is whenever a community to come together and solve these basic crises. And with that, we, whenever the freeze ended, we still kept up on our duties. We, uh, we had created a network of uh, lower income people who still needed water. And we, to this day, we still deliver water to those low income families. <laughs> and when talking about aid too, I think we decided that the most affected people in our community by the crisis of capitalism was the homeless community. So we, were, we crafted about 30 homeless care packages with uh, food, uh, socks, uh, dental supplies, hygiene supplies, all those sorts of stuff, feminine hygiene stuff, all of that. And we were able to distribute that to the community. And also, we had a very interesting run-in with the Catholic Church. <laughs> Um, so basically, uh, there is a cemetery in Calvary, uh, named Calvary Cemetery run by the Catholic Diocese of San Angelo, and they usually hire these people called the Knights of Columbus to come and clean up the cemetery, but they, the management there cut every single corner possible and hired just, I don't even know, probably just some random dude off the street. I mean, no, I'm not talking down on the dude just trying to find a job, but I'm talking down on the manager who didn't know, who didn't take the proper precautions when dealing with such sensitive items. And what they did with these items is that they ripped out everybody's flowers, everybody's crosses, everybody's flags, everybody's tombstones, everybody's rosaries. So there's literal unmarked graves in that cemetery just because those people just ran through and Trust, tossed everything, literally everything. In my town, it's a very Catholic community. 
very religious. People were very Mexican. People very much want to be able to leave stuff for the ones that they loved and that have passed. And immediately the outrage was palpable. We had so, well, everything that they threw away, they just put on the side of the street. So it was a huge pile of crosses and flowers and pictures, teddy bears, little beer bottles that people had left for ones who have passed. So we, our team, we spent all day organizing all of these things because we had families rolling up all day long looking for their stuff, looking for mementos of their loved ones that are passed. Because that stuff's, that stuff's priceless. You can't get that stuff back. And it was, it was really disturbing for me to see that coming from people. Well, let me rephrase that. I was really heartening to see how many Catholic people were so rightfully angry at the people who were supposed to be protecting them. So as a group, we took it upon ourselves to try to channel and focus their energy, their righteous anger, to try to get reforms and change directly for these people in our community. So we were able to, we made a petition, and we were able to organize a demonstration there the next day. And we got so many older people, just regular family members, to come out and really show their concern of what happened. And it, I, I have an interview, I probably should have put it up here, but uh, there were, I interviewed all the families who had uh, been affected and it was just really eye-opening for me. And I found that the one that stuck with me the most is this one elderly Mexican man. He said to me, you know, everywhere across the country, you got different people protesting for different things. You got people protesting for black people, you got people protesting against war, you got people protesting whatever. But who's here for us? Nobody's here for us. It's y'all guys here for us. And he was talking to us, SAS. And that's what socialism in our communities needs to be. It's, it's not some... Uh, ab it's, not some uh, it's not some abstract party who goes out and hosts a host an event for the Democratic Party every now and again. You have to be there directly with the community. You have to talk to them. You have right. to know them. And I think that's really our mission, is to show people and average Texans that socialism isn't a boogeyman. Socialism is something that our neighbors give to each other and that something that's positive, something that can bring prosperity. And I, uh, I really found a lot, let me see, sorry about this. Um, what I wanted to say to wrap up is, it was daunting doing it at first, making a group. I know it's not something that's easy. It takes a lot of courage. And that's something I feel like everyone here has. You wouldn't be here if you didn't have courage, you didn't care about the world, and you didn't want to stand up, and you didn't want to fight. I feel like every single one of you is capable of building a community of solidarity in your own town. And it's not as difficult as they make it out to be and they make it say. All it is is just connecting with your neighbors, connecting with real people. And I think that's really is our mission of the CPI is to build those communities of solidarity. And that's all I have to say. Thank you, everybody. Woo! Woo!